This episode of the Sea Here is dedicated to one of the great masters of jazz improvisation, Peter Brodsky. <laughs> Episode 106 of See Here Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the discussion of music-related cinema. My name is Morris, and joining me, as I always do, in Brantford, Ontario, Mr. Tim Merrill. Hey. And over in Cape Cod, Ms. Kerry Fristo. Hello. What we're here to do today is talk about the film from 1999. I think it's 1999, not 1998. Never mind. Someone will pull me over the coals and tell me if I've got it right or wrong. Hillary and Jackie is the name of the film. This was Kerry's pick. What we're going to do is play the trailer and then come back and talk about what this film is about. It's about Hillary and Jackie Dupre, famous classical musician sisters. We'll be back in a moment to talk about Hillary and Jackie. You're listening to See Here Podcast, episode 106. We'll give you the world, Jackie, but you must give it yourself. Hillary and Jackie were as close as sisters could be. I think this must be the first time that our winning soloists have been sisters. And they shared everything. Secrets, fantasies, and a music only they seem to hear. There came a day when their paths diverged. That's it. She's ready. Jackie's fame spread around the world. While Hillary found a simpler life. Ah, uh, Mr. Dupre. Yes? I was wondering whether I could book you for a concert. Oh, no, it's not me you want, it's my sister. But you're Hillary Dupre, the flautist. Yes. Yes, yes, well, it's you I want. Oh. Who's this? Give her Finzi. I'm in love with Hillary. What do you do? I'm a musician. You any good? Let's get a flat together and go bonkers. Kev has asked me to marry him. You can't just leave me. I'm not leaving you. You're not here anymore. You never will be again. But her passions took Jackie to places she never imagined. Would you still love me if I couldn't play? You wouldn't be you if you couldn't play. And a world from which she could never return. She just needs proof. Give her proof of what, for God's sake? Proof that somebody loves her. If you want to get yourself impregnated, you should ask her hubby. Well, I think you'll find that this is not the sort of thing the sisters normally ask one another. Ever since we were little, everything you've asked for, I've said yes. October Films is proud to present Academy Award nominee Emily Watson, Rachel Griffiths, James Frame, and David Morrissey in the incredible true story of sisters torn apart by genius, united by love. Hillary and Jackie. If you think that being an ordinary person is any easier than being an extraordinary one, you're wrong. Thank you. 
And we're back. Boris here, Tim over there, Kerry also over there. And we're talking about the 1999 film Hillary and Jackie, directed by Anand Tucker. This may be his best known film out of a fairly small catalogue. Scripted by a fellow called Frank Cottrell Boyce, supposedly based on the memoir A Genius in the Family by Hillary and Piers Dupre. Now, according to Wikipedia, that great oracle of knowledge, the screen credit making that claim was not actually true. The book was not published when the film was being made and the book was being written simultaneously with the film. So script writer Frank Cottrell Boyce claims that his script was based on conversations he had with Hillary and Piers, who is Jackie and Hillary's brother, who is pretty much a non-character in this film. Anyway, technicality aside, the film stars Emily Watson as Jacqueline Dupre, one of the great cellists of all time. Rachel Griffiths as her sister, Hillary Dupre, a great flautist. James Frain as pianist and conductor Daniel Barenboim, who is the husband of Jacqueline Dupre. And David Morrissey as Kiffa Finzi who was the husband of Hilary Dupre and was a conductor in his own right. So the IMDb descriptive is the tragic story of world-renowned classical cellist Jacqueline Dupre is told from the point of view of her sister, Hilary Dupre Finzi. And you know the alternate title to this film, right? I have an alternate title for this film. What's yours? Sisters Before Misters. Yep, mine was... <laughs> okay, see what you think of this one. Beaches with cellos. <laughs> We'll get into that. Let's go around the table. Kerry, this is your pick. Did you see this film on original release at the cinema or was this your first time? What are your initial thoughts about Hillary and Jackie? Um, this is not the first time I've seen it, but I didn't see it in the theater when it came out, but I saw it soon after, you know, on cable or something. So back in the 90s, early 2000s, something like that. And uh, watching it again, it's. I just remembered it because the performances were terrific. I mean, I've got a lot of things that you can talk about other movies. There are sort of like connections to me, to other films. Um, one of them was The Sound of Noise that we just watched. I found that there was sort of a connection there, but I don't know if you want to get into this at this time. Absolutely, no, go for it. Okay. Things in the film is that it reminds me of Sound of Noise and it also reminds me of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Now, in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, uh, Betty Davis, at first, when you, they show the flashbacks, she's a little child star. And everyone loves her and she's the favorite because she's making big money. And then later on, when it comes to acting, the other Blanche, the other sister, has a real talent and has a real career. And baby Jane is a has-been and that kind of thing. And a similar, not the same, thing happens in Hillary and Jackie, where in the beginning, Hillary is the older of the two, I believe, and she is an accomplished flautist as a child. And she wins all all kinds of awards and prizes and, and everyone's very proud of her and her parents are not the ideal parents, let's just say, you know, because they tend to fawn over the one who's winning. So when Hillary was winning all the prizes, they were saying how wonderful she was and la 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 and all that great stuff. So immediately Jackie went in and said, damn it, I'm going to practice, you know, and, and so went in and practiced and practiced and practiced. And then she sort of outdid her sister. Then she was the big star and they sort of kicked Hillary to the curb is almost how I feel about it. You know, the parents were not as into it. And, you know, as they got older, Jackie still had all the confidence that she had as a child who knows she's really, really good. 
as an adult, she still had that same, you know, confidence. Whereas I think Hillary was maturing. And so you see her like do an audition and she's nervous and she makes mistakes and things like that because she's learned about things other than this music. And she sort of at one point says, "Uh, all right. I, you know, I'd rather just be married and have children and raise chickens and have a normal life than rather than be, as she said, trained freaks. Once Jackie becomes famous and big, she's not the nicest person. Um, she's a diva and she's an artist in the sense that she doesn't understand real life. She still sends her laundry home to be done because she hasn't got a clue as to how to do it. And she's in her 20s, you know. <laughs> And you're just like, what's wrong with you? She doesn't know how to talk to people. She's socially inept. They didn't prepare her for anything but this. So she that's all she knows how to do is perform. She just does not how to relate in any normal way. And so that to me, that was very whatever happened to baby Jane and like the sisters replacing each other. And then also in The Sound of Noise, you have the police detective who is the only one in his family who's not a musician and he's isolated and he's not treated as well. He loves them. He wants to be a part of them, but he is not into music. And in fact, it bothers him tremendously to listen to music. Then there's that isolation when he's not like they, they sort of poo poo him at the party. There's a party and he goes and they're like, Oh, he's not a musician. He's a police officer, (laughs) you know, and that sort of snobbery. And they, I feel like they did the same thing to Hillary as soon as she, wasn't winning all the contests. I don't know. I I just drew some parallels there. I think that's actually a really good parallel. Only once you started talking about it, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I was was really interested to see what would be the connection between this and Sound of Noise, but completely, you know, they're both from overly obsessive musical parents and really in some ways, I guess, Sound of Noise, and maybe I mentioned this in that previous episode, was maybe an alternate universe type of family situation, you know, normally like say, oh my son's the jock oh my other son is is uh the the artistic one and he's the one who's made fun of but in this alternate universe it's the musical child the musical prodigy that's trained and oh, oh you're the police officer oh uh, how quaint but yes mm-hmm. certainly I, I think in Hillary and Jackie it's the mother who's particularly obsessive and shows her uh, teaching them to dance as well as to uh, be brilliant musicians Tim had you seen Hillary and Jackie before we were doing this no I hadn't well there's two things that I kind of got from this. One is that, um, as Carrie was talking about other films to compare to, I could see this in a comparison to something also. I think this film would make a good double bill with David Cronenberg's uh, Dead Ringers because Ooh. because of the idea that you've got two brothers, that even though they are identical twins in Dead Ringers, but in this you've got two sisters that are so close and they share certain things. I don't want to get any spoilers, but that causes an issue. And the same thing that happens at Dead Ringers, you know, and how you see two people that are so close to each other, supposed to love each other, that are actually kind of destroying each other in a way. Get away from me! You don't love me! No fucking love me! Fuck for fuck's sake! It's okay. It's okay. 
Yeah. So I thought that's a feeling I got from this was it's kind of ironic in one way how you have one sister who's kind of, you know, not thinking twice about taking chunks out of the life of the other sister. But yet in the end, it's her who has chunks taken out of her own life. I could almost hear somebody in the background going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the other thing that I thought was kind of funny was that as I started watching this, it kind of reminded me of there was an old episode from WKRP Cincinnati where they were doing a pseudo documentary on Herb Tarlick's family and they're talking to his wife. And they're, and they're like, do you let your kids watch TV? And she's like, oh, yeah, we all love watching that show, Little House in the Prairie. It's a really wholesome show every week where somebody's house burns down or somebody goes blind or somebody somebody gets sick. What I'm getting at is it seems like you and I kind of ended at this off air. We were talking more as before about the subgenre of the tortured musician. It seems like there's a string of films mm. about musicians with issues, so to say. And it always kind of irked me. And I'm not saying this is a bad film. Far from it. It's a great film. But I've always kind of had umbrage with this thing about why can't they just show musicians for who they are? Why does there have to be the hook? Why do they have to have the focus on somebody has a mental illness or somebody's blind or somebody? It always has to be. It's not enough that these people are naturally talented. They have to put, you know, the hamstrings in there going, huh? Huh? You know, it's just kind of like, meh. Sometimes it's not needed. I know everyone loves dirt and everyone loves drama, but that's the whole real spine of this film, though, is mm -hmm. the whole kind of up and down and the struggle and the kind of competitive dance between Hillary and Jackie. You don't have much of a film if you don't have that. This leads to a question I was going to ask later, but I might as well sort of bring it up now, given that you've sort of gone and said that, Tim, is, is this really a film about music? I sort of see this purely as a film about two sisters who just happen to be musicians and right. one's devoted mm -hmm. her entire life to it and the other one's gone and said, well, you know, domestic life is really what more appeals to me. And I mean, that's not necessarily a crime, but given that we all love, I mean, the whole reason we do this podcast is to look into films that are music centric. And I mean, when I saw this years ago, I was thinking, what is it about this film that I'm not getting that, that bothers me? And I think this time around, it was that realization that this is not a film about music. And a couple of the clues, I think, is part of the story that either for commercial purposes or for focusing purposes that music was not a priority was that there's no time in the film where a composition is ever named until no big spoiler alert because i'm presuming that the listeners out there know that jacqueline dupre passed away in 1987 from uh, multiple sclerosis but there's you know, a moment towards late in the film where uh, rachel griffiths as her sister hillary and their brother piers who i can't remember who the actor is <laughs> they're driving home and they hear over the radio that jacqueline has died of MS. And they say she was predominantly known for her 
interpretation of Elgar's cello concerto. That was her most famous work, just like uh, Glenn Gould was predominantly known for the uh, for the Goldberg variations. Then this was Jacqueline Dupre's most famous work. But at no stage the musical works ever identified. And there is plenty of music in this one. There is plenty of performance where it serves a story. But it almost seems that if nothing's ever identified, then it's sort of like a, a side priority for this film. We do see concert performances and we see recitals where the performance is in service of the story, like you know, where we first see that Jacqueline can't move her legs. This is the first sign of MS in this film. And for me, that's just something that takes me a little bit out of the story. And it's that's not what makes it a lesser film to me, but it is something that bothers me. If you're going to do something about someone's art, I understand that for a wider audience that may not necessarily be interested in as much about classical music or know much about classical music, that they're going to make the focus about the sibling rivalry or the sibling relationship. But if you're going to make a film about artists, you should cover a little bit about the art. And you know, it's not right. enough to just have, oh, yeah, here's a performance. Um, right. I, mean, we, I think, you know, we spoke about this a few years ago, Tim, when we were discussing Love and Mercy. And one of the great scenes in that film was where we see Brian and the wrecking crew in the studio as they're building up. I can't remember if it was Good Vibrations or God Only Knows. But mm -hmm. the actual scene with the wrecking crew and he's giving them instruction. And I think the woman playing as Carol Kay said, oh, this harmony, this doesn't quite work. And he said, well, it works in my head. Just let's give it a try. And you see the creative process and mm. that shows respect for the music and that for me was one of the aspects that made that a superior biopic i know i sound like i'm quibbling and i'm going to be quibbling a lot more uh the acting is superb in this film but if we even if we just look at it as a film about sibling rivalries or the filmic structure i i have issue with a couple of i have issue with the film but is there anything that you guys want to sort of like go into uh, want to talk about the music in the film and i actually want to talk about the musical sequences in the film because i think they need some attention but any other initial thoughts well i thought for one thing i thought that both actresses they did a really uh, good job at kind of portraying performers with you know i mean it, it's not easy to be all right you're floatist well how do i float you know <laughs> like i mean it's not it's not something that's pretty common you know or even to look like you're really playing the cello I mean, it's not, you know, something that you're going to be able to pull out of your hat every day. So, I mean, I think they're commended for being able to at least come off a little bit realistically in that respect. I watched a video on YouTube, like a one-hour TV special. I'm not sure. It might have been a Channel 4 special called Remembering Jacqueline Dupre. And that one was very much focused on her as artist. This came out after she died. Uh, okay. And it, it really wanted to celebrate her as musician. And in fact, you know, the fact that she'd passed of multiple sclerosis was almost like a side issue. It's like, no, this is what made her great. So there's a lot of performance-based stuff in this uh, one-hour special. And coming back to your point, Tim, about watching the actresses looking authentic as musicians, one thing I found comparing Emily Watson acting as Jacqueline while playing the cello and I'm watching what the real Jacqueline Dupre did it's not just that Emily Watson looks good at playing the cello but she looks like Jacqueline Dupre playing the cello because every musician is going to have different mannerisms how they move their head how they move right. their body as well as how she moves her hands across the body of the instrument so, so it's the character the character as well as the performance right which is a, it's a it's a double thing and she just based on what I could see I'm sure that there are real 
real chalice out there who could tell me either way whether I'm right or I'm wrong about this. But watching this special and watching Jacqueline Dupre actually play, I think Emily Watson got that aspect of her spot on. There's a moment early on in the film where she has an English accent. And then as the film goes on, she has something like a, a different accent, almost like she's trying to sound like Daniel Barenboim, her Argentinian-born husband. And I thought, what's going on here? But that's really how we hear Jacqueline sound. You're right. I mean, you know, that's apparently an affectation that she adopted later on in, in life. Once again, so the, no faulting the acting. So you are a musician? Yes, I am a musician. You know very well that I'm a musician. I'm a very famous musician, actually. Well, you don't look like a musician. Really? So what a musician is supposed to look like, then? They're not usually so blonde. I know that another issue that I've often had and we've spoken about on this show was authenticity. And I've tried to sort of make my peace with the fact that a two-hour film is not meant to be a 500-page, 400-page biography right. where you can get down into the minutiae of the subject under question's life. And I think Hillary, her memoir, A Genius in the Family, she wanted to distinguish between a memoir and a biography. And a biography goes into the small detail and memoirs, here's what I remember. But right. apparently this book caused a lot of fracas at the time. A lot of the musicians who read it, who'd worked with her, so people like Pinchas Zuckerman or guitarist John Williams, not the composer John Williams, the classical guitarist from Melbourne originally, or Julian Lloyd Webber, also a cellist. They said that this, they found that none of the joy in performing that they had with, with Jacqueline Dupre, they found that she had none of the joy in this film that the real Jacqueline Dupre had. I think that's debatable because I think that there are moments where Emily Watson does show some joy in her playing. It's not just about wanting to get ahead, not just about wanting to be the most famous classical musician in the world. And it's also probably fair to say that those people may have a romanticized notion of who she was and they didn't know who she was outside of performance time. And that's certainly a point that Hilary Dupre made. She wrote a letter to The Guardian at the time saying that none of these professional colleagues knew her sister the way that she knew her. But also it's apparently that the film differs in detail, biographical detail from how the book does. Uh, and I think once again, it's, artistic license is, is something, but I'd love to know who is the real Jacqueline Dupre or what actually, what actually happened. Here's a question I have, okay. Do you think that some people can look at the books and the film as Hillary sticking a metaphoric knife into her sister? This aspect, I mean, I haven't read the book, can't say from that perspective, no. but-, but there's moments in the film where I certainly think that there's that moment fairly early on in the film. I mean, everything up until this point shows them as close as can be. And then there's that moment where Hillary comes to Jackie and says, You don't know anything apart from the cello. I don't know anything apart from the flute. We're babies, Jacks. And Kiva laughs at me. Then why are you marrying him? Because he makes me feel special. Well, that's a big squeeze because the truth is, you're not special. And there's been nothing to that point that indicates that the rivalry that they had went beyond just musically trying to outdo each other. Right. It just seemed unnecessarily cruel, but it also filmically didn't seem to go beyond that point. There's the elephant in the room that we're not getting at here. And the thing that kind of bothered me while watching this, too, is the fact is, okay, 
at some point when Hillary decides she's done competing with Jackie and she says, I'm going to go to the farm life and have a family and all of that. Jackie could have anything she wanted. She had fame. She had notoriety. She could pick from a whole stable of, of young bucks, so to speak. But what does she do? She decides to go to her sister and say, you know that guy that you're with? I feel like I want to get a little bit of that strange. No, it's true. We always know what the other one is thinking. You know what I'm thinking now, don't you, sis? Not really. Yes, you do. <laughs> no, I don't. i tell you. No. I mean, just tell me. I find it really interesting where it's not enough for her in the film to have everything she has, the recognition, the accolades, fame, the kind of influence and all of it. And yet she's got to basically glom on to what her sister has. And she sees her sister as, as actually the one, like you just finished saying, isn't that special, went off and made a life of her own, which Jackie saw apparently as special or the guy that she was with as special. I just found that was kind of like, you've got it all. Don't mess with that. Don't screw with your sister, you know. But then you could say Hillary was a victim. But then she turns around and she just says, you want to sleep with my husband? Okay. You know, and she just goes along with it. And I'm just like, Facebook, you know, like, what well, are you doing? Yeah. There was that whole part that I feel like th there was something missing in the film, you know, yep. where they didn't show the kind of manipulative, needy, really incredibly needy person that Jackie was, according mm -hmm. to this memoir, anyway, uh, right. or the movie, anyway. And, and I feel like you can see it early on when, you know, the two girls have been in a... They've both been uh, playing in different contests or something when they're children. And Hillary wins the big prize. And again, everybody loves her. And she's this great flautist and everything's wonderful. And she even brings her sister up and says, well, Jackie played too. And she was really... And the parents almost dismiss that. And I feel like the entire family kowtows to Jackie to some extent, especially once she has become famous, she's like a spoiled brat. And, <laughs> and you know, sending her laundry home? I mean, that I don't even understand. That's so bizarre. Right. Like, you could, couldn't you get, you could get a, a servant in the hotel you're staying in to wash it. That's, you... that's what I mean, though. She has, she has <laughs> access to all this stuff. And yet, you know, the decisions she makes. Because she's a child. And it's one of the things that Hillary says is that because we were not trained to do anything. They don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to deal with normal situations they were trained as what she says trained freaks they're just they're trained to perform you know like circus animals or something you know <laughs> and, um, they don't know normal type things but i really feel like the she's just so manipulative have you ever been in a relationship or known people that have been into a relationship where the person the other person is if made that statement well if you really love me you would da, 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 you know if you really love me you would and you could just hear her saying that well, if you well, really she really does yeah when she says yeah. she's gonna get married you right because she's like yeah how could you it's it's more of a like how could you leave me well you can't marry him you can't just leave me 
I was talking earlier about Hillary going along with Jackie dipping in with her husband. I can see Hillary just saying, well, this is really the thing that's going to bring me and my sister closer together. Well, then I guess it's okay. Is this what it takes to kind of hold me back to pull my sister back to me or pull me closer to my sister? This is one thing I find awkward because I'm pretty sure that Daniel Barenboim and Jacqueline Dupre were married until uh, her death. There's, apart from a superficial moment where she feels stressed, overly stressed and spoiled that she leaves a heavily booked tour, I think maybe like right in the middle of a concert or something like that. There's no indication that there's any marital discord between her and Barenboim. And when Barenboim follows her to Hillary and Kiffer's farm and says, says to the husband, do you know what it is that she's after? And he says, no, I've no real idea. But she treats Barenboim like he's persona non grata. And yet a lot of real footage of Barenboim and and Dupre shows otherwise. You know, this film is trying to indicate, oh no, their their marriage is a sham. What are you were saying? There's something that's left out. There's a lot that's left out. That they use this filmic structure here of Hillary's point of view for part of the film and Jackie's point of view for part of the film. And that sort of seems ridiculous because Jackie wasn't around to help interview the script about, well, this was my point of view. It's all Hillary's point of view. Once again, I mean, okay, I understand that there's going to be some stuff that's dramatized and fictionalized, but it, a lot of it just didn't make sense to me because there was so much stuff left out. How did you get to this point? Even if it's not true, how did you get to it? And in a film that would have been declared as fiction, if it was about two fictitious sisters rather than two real sisters, they would have had that detail filled in because they would have recognized that you can't just sort of cover 20 years in the life without filling in the details along the way. And I think that that's one thing that I think the film lacks. No, I, I would tend to agree with you there. I had the same reaction that Tim uh, spoke about earlier, about, you know, every time you see a film about a musician, you have to see the tortured artist effect. You know, you have to right. um, yeah, see, see that whole thing. And I feel like a lot of people want to excuse the kind of behavior that would let a rock band trash a hotel room because they're artists, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that a lot of people in this film version of their lives anyway, that's kind of what they're doing with Jack with Jackie. They're they're just because she's such a talent, they're just excusing, oh, it's just Jackie, you know, anything she wants kind of stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> that sort of like leads to my point earlier on. If they'd gone more about the artistic side it would have helped the sibling rivalry side. We see in the story, Jackie overtake her sister in terms of why people appreciate her and they're giving her like an incredible million dollar cello or something like that. But we never know, well, 
really, why is she that special? I listened to her on CD, listened to the real Jacqueline Dupre, and I think she's absolutely amazing. But as a non-classical musician, I'm thinking, why is she elevated into the company of, say, someone like Pablo Casals? What made her as brilliant as she was? Was it because she was great from an early age? I mean, I've got two cellist friends who I think are fantastic, but they're not being lauded by the wider world music community. So if we knew a little bit about what made Jacqueline so brilliant, what made her better as a musician than Hillary was as a flautist, then we might sort of say, okay, we're not that we understand poor behavior, but we get why she's being not so much why she's being excused for poor behavior but it's at least consistent with what we do as a society where we say oh yeah okay well yeah it's the who trashing a hotel room yeah we're gonna that's just what musicians do but we don't know really what made her over and above every other cellist working on the planet everything can be pivoted you know every situation can be manipulated or every there's always another option in her story you know there's always something else that she could have done but when it comes down to her with the ms that's just the one thing that she has to go alone and there's no negotiating with it there's no changing it there's no bargaining it's funny how somebody who's in the center of attention there's all this bad behavior in the way she's being treated or seen or and then in the end it's just her with her illness and, 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 and her I mean, sister right and her sister it's she there come, through, you know through all of it yeah but it's just i find that it's just ironic how somebody who could i'm not saying like jacqueline was totally conniving the whole time obviously not but for somebody who was kind of a, a bit of a chess player in the end it just came down to one move and that was it it was the only thing that she could do but i found that her sister hillary though to still be there despite everything that spoke volumes and once again this is based on hillary and Piers' account of right. of these events so if Jacqueline had survived if she hadn't come down with MS, but they were still telling the story of a sibling rivalry. She might have told a very different story. We don't know. But sure. No. 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 Instead of rehearsing this piece, I just want you to practice playing B flat. Just the note B flat. The note. Just the note. I wanted to ask you about favourite musical moments in the film, because even though I've gone and sort of put forth that I don't think that this is a film about music, but there is a lot of music in the film, a lot of musical performances. And I think that, unsurprisingly, maybe they were my favourite parts of the film. I have one. This is when, you know, when she was on tour, when uh, Jackie was on tour. She's at a party, and it's clear that she's doesn't really know anyone there or isn't comfortable in social situations or something. She's just standing there and she doesn't really know what to do. Now she's caught Daniel Barenbaum's eye, but then at some point she just looks around and says, oh, screw this and pulls out her cello and starts playing in the middle of the party. And I thought that was pretty cool because she's like, well, you know, I, I can't do this other, you know, small talk stuff, but here's what I do. Mm. And I thought that was pretty cool. It would have been better, you know, if they just had uh, John Belushi come by in a toga and grab the cello <laughs> and smash it against the wall and just been like, sorry, I just had to. <laughs> no. 
joking, all joking aside. Um, That's funny. I liked the beginning of it where when you see the two girls coming up and I just liked how they were learning. As, as children. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that. They wake up in the morning and they find out, oh, mother has gone and written a new piece for us to play. That's exciting them where the art form is still, well, when you're kids, you don't think about making millions of dollars or being the most famous in the world. You right. just play because you love it. And yeah, that was a moment of pure joy. Right. That, that was nice, yeah. I want to mention two bits. One that I really liked, and the other one that I, I liked, but also sort of thought that it was maybe a typical trope of the music film. But one moment that I really liked, which sort of goes against the accusation that this film never showed uh, Jacqueline actually enjoying what she was doing. There was a scene with Emily Watson as Jacqueline Dupre and Daniel Barenboim, and we never see him by face, but... I'm pretty sure it'd be Yitzhak Perlman. So they're playing a Beethoven piano trio. The camera's moving around and it focuses mostly on Jackie or on Barenboim. And we only ever get to see the back of the head of Perlman. But they're playing this Beethoven piano piece and it then segues or Barenboim segues into playing The Kinks You Really Got Me. Right. How they move between <laughs> one to the other, uh, just the smile on their faces, they're really, really enjoying themselves. And when they finish, you know, Baron Boyne says, that's how you play Beethoven. It's, <laughs> it's a lovely moment and sort of shows that you know, for years and years, to be the best that they could be as classical musicians requires discipline and stamina that the classical repertoire will demand of it. But they can still have fun with something that I guess, you know, maybe never required as much discipline or there was a perception that it never required as much discipline in doing a rock song. Well, I thought, you know, when you compare the two, I mean, like Beethoven at the time wasn't considered high culture. He was considered pretty almost punk rock or, or you know, weird dissonant noise. I mean, like at the time, from all accounts, people are saying like he wasn't the Beethoven we know. He was more that, oh, there's that weird guy that stays by himself in his room and just plays out on these little ditties or whatever so i i think there is a connection between beethoven and the kinks <laughs> well I, I think that the other thing about beethoven was because he was changing the art form he was changing right. the composition because they would go from classical into romantic and he straddled that line between the two so because he was so innovative i guess that would have riled audiences at the time so we're rain <laughs> yes or rain dave there you go you heard it here uh, uh the davies brothers and ludwig von yeah <laughs> The other moment in the film, which it had a line that was ostensibly a throwaway line, but it did give me a big laugh. You know, the moment in music films is in that thing you do. We see it in The Commitments, and I'm sure a ton of other music-related films where the band is ready to perform. They're doing their debut performance, and they're all rehearsed. But of course, that first performance ends up 
something ends up going wrong. They sound like shit or they sound like they've never rehearsed a day in their lives. And it happened in both of those songs that I mentioned. So there's this moment at the debut concert for for Jackie at Wigmore Hall, accompanied on piano by Ernest Lush. And I found a poster online. That concert really did take place on the 1st of March in 1961, but I can't quite work out. Haven't been able to determine whether this particular thing happened. And so there's a point where we hear Jackie playing and she sounds flat. So Emily Watson, as Jacqueline Dupre announces. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid that my A string has come loose and I'm going to have to restring my cello and start again. Well, at least it wasn't my G string. Well, at least it wasn't my G string. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment. I really did. Um, but of course, then there's a moment late in the film. I know I'm giving it a third moment, but I think where she's playing the Dvorak cello concerto and she plays wonderfully and then says, I can't get up. I can't get up. Mm-hmm. And that moment seemed to me like very much like a late 90s art house film looking at the Oscars type of thing, where she's playing the cello, but something is going wrong. We hear what's going on in her head. Her fingers are slipping up and down the strings, but that's not what the audience hears. We just hear what's going on in her head, and there's lightning flashes, and then she hears complete silence, and she can't get up. And that just seemed like so much of a 90s art house moment. I don't think it was that scene, but somewhere about that time where the bow drops slow motion to the floor. Oh, yeah, yeah. You would have seen the film Shine, the Australian film Shine about David Helfgott. A tortured artist. Yeah, the tortured artist, exactly. So there's that moment where Noah Taylor is playing David Helfgott in the first half of the film, and he's playing the notoriously difficult Rachmaninoff second piano concerto, and it takes so much out of him, and his father's been abusing him to get better and better and better. And at the end of it, slow motion, he falls to the floor and hits his head. That artistic moment, that art house film moment, and that bow dropping to the floor in Hillary and Jackie. It just seemed to be, oh yeah, we got to include one of those moments, the tortured artist. But overall, that orchestral moment of the, the concert with the Dvorak cello concerto, it's filmed beautifully. But once again, as you say, Tim, I mean, okay, it's her life. It's her story. They've got to include something about it, but why can't they talk more about how she was as an artist rather than yeah, as, yeah. as someone who's tortured. But it's Hillary's accounting of the tale. Who knows? I'm not sure I've got that much more. I've seemed to have hung a lot of shit on this. I mean, once again, I do think that the <laughs> I do think that the acting was superb. And I, I don't know whether this won any awards for acting, but if it did, then both Emily Watson and Rachel Griffiths would have certainly deserved it. I think, you know, at the time when we didn't have so many Australian actors or actresses working outside of Australia mm-hmm. uh, that were making names across the world. I mean, apart from Nicole Kidman, it was quite exciting to see Rachel Griffiths in this part. And I've always loved anything that she or or Kate Blanchett does. And we, maybe we need to talk about Tar at some stage. But, you know, Rachel Griffiths was absolutely fantastic in her role in this film. So I think Emily Watson got nominated for a BAFTA. Okay. I don't know that she won it. I think she got nominated. I hope that she did win it because she certainly deserved it. As I said, watching a whole bunch of YouTube interviews with the real Jacqueline Dupre, she sounded like her, not just the voice, but the the mannerism. She got the tone. She did that well. And it's not mimicry. It's Mm -hmm. really getting into that side of the character. But any final thoughts? Like what I said earlier about the double bill with uh, Dead Ringers. 
there's something interesting about, I don't even know if it's a subgenre, but I, but I know there are a number of films about siblings that are very close and how one dominates or affects the other. Well, I mean, shit, there's that famous horror film from the 70s, The Other. Oh, yeah. So I thought you were going to mention Sisters by Brian De Palma or something. Well, that's another one. Yeah. No, no, there's also, there's Dead Ringers, but there's also Dead Ringer. That's a 60s film with Betty Davis playing two parts. And um, uh, Paul Henry directed it. And it's got Carl Malden and stuff like that. But yeah, there's an evil sister and a good sister, you know, and... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not saying that Hillary and Jackie are so cut and dried like that. Like, I mean, it's not, this isn't that kind of who will prevail. Well, we know who prevailed. <laughs> but I'm still saying that I got the same feeling watching this that I did from Cronenberg's Dead Ringers, just about two brothers who did everything together, you know, and they had the same kind of feelings and, until they hit a crossroads. And then it comes back together again, but over certain partners. And it messes everything up. Again, this is all speculation in this film. And, you know, in Cronenberg's film, it was all based on an actual event. So it's interesting. They grew up in a similar fashion, a very insular right. uh, way. You know, it's just them. They're together so much, it almost becomes this incestuous relationship. It, it even makes more sense that she says, you know, your husband uh, likes you. You'll probably like me, too. So let's let that happen, you know. <laughs> But it's it's just such a weird upbringing, and because they were only taught how to do this one thing, and that's the, it's similar to the Dead Ringers, because they're like together all the time. I think we'll leave it there. So despite all I've said about it, I'd still sort of recommend that people watch this because whether it's perfect or not, I, I guess I always do find films about sibling relationships interesting, you know, despite the fact that you know, maybe this had stuff left out, how'd they get to this, how'd they get to that. But but yeah, there is, there is some psychological drama in this. And if that's your thing, I don't think it goes too over the top, but um, but. Yeah, you might find that interesting. So, yeah, it is available for watching on streaming service or you might have it in your DVD collection, physical media. Good on you. Dig it out and give it another watch. Hope we've inspired you to do that or not. All right, so that's the end of 106. Tim, it's your pick for episode 107 of uh, See Here. What do you got for us? All righty. Well, for the next episode, I wanted to do something a little different, something that we generally don't talk about that much. It's a film called The Free Jazz, and it's basically a documentary about the exploration of jazz through the performers and what it means to them. And it's a wide-ranging, there's all kinds of notable characters in this documentary. And it's a very interesting look at, uh, like I say, jazz from the pure perspective of the performers and what the, uh, the whole genre means to them. Now, that film's on YouTube, right? Yep. Right. Okay, so I'll put a link in the Facebook group for people to search up and uh, find. Play along. 
Now, I should also probably mention that there was a time while you were away, Tim, that Bernie and I got to speak to the director of another excellent documentary about free jazz. The film is called Fire Music. And if you want to watch that as well as a compliment to the free jazz documentary that we'll discuss next month, then I think Fire Music, at least last I checked, was available on the Criterion channel. But uh, I'll, I'll probably be watching that one again just to um, compare and contrast. Yeah, no, look, always love talking about jazz music and uh yeah I, I guess free jazz as a style or as an approach to jazz has often been demeaned by people who don't really quite understand it and i don't claim to understand it but i have grown to love it over however many years so yeah looking forward to having that conversation and watching that film for episode 107 if you want to get in contact with us send us an email at seeherepodcast at gmail.com you can join the facebook group and start up a discussion about any music related films that you've been digging on facebook.com forward slash group forward slash see here podcast and uh, i think that pretty much covers it so until next month look after yourselves dig out your copy of uh, the elgar cello concerto if you've got it pretty wonderful watch any of the videos there's quite a few videos online about jacqueline dupre and daniel barenboim i even found something from an australian tour that they did that was on an abc tv news special so there's a lot of interesting stuff out there so Compliment this film with some actual footage of uh, Jacqueline Dupre. Watch that Remembering Jacqueline Dupre documentary. I'll actually include that in the show notes. So until next month, all the best. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.